There's a story inside every smoke shop, with every cigar, and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle of Boveda. This is Box Press. Welcome to another episode of Box Press. I'm your host, Rob Gagne. Today, I'm sitting inside Tampa's Davidoff Lounge with Klaas Kellner. He is the son to Hanky Kellner, the master blender over at Davidoff. Klaas, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Rob. No problem. Klaas, what are we smoking? We're smoking Davidoff Especiales 7. It's a 2019 limited edition. We just released about just over a month ago. And this is actually a re-release really this cigar was released uh back in 2004 and in my opinion it is the culmination or the combination of all the davidoff classics into one we call it davidoff Speciales seven because there's seven types of tobacco in it it's the first time the company made a cigar with seven tobaccos in that's it. pretty high isn't it like yes. seven you what's normal Normal back in the nineties was like uh four tobaccos, five tobaccos. Okay. Uh that would mean two fillers, a binder and a wrapper, or three fillers, a binder and a wrapper. Initially, right at uh when cigars were be becoming a thing, it was um three tobaccos, one filler, one binder, one wrapper. And then if wow. you're doing like a puro from a farm, it was like all one thing, you know. Sure. But it was there's always a wrapper or a binder that holds a Cigar yep. together. Yep. Um, normal cigars nowadays have five or six tobaccos. Okay. And in 2004, when we first launched a cigar with seven tobaccos, that was like a new thing. And it's even more challenging when you consider that this is a 48 ring gauge. Yeah, I was just going to say, to fit seven tobaccos in this small of a ring gauge, that's no uh, small task. It's all about the proportions and the weights of every tobacco, making sure that each tobacco is... Uh, has the right proportions and that way the cigar is not unbalanced and also that it draws correctly because mixing seven tobaccos into smaller ring gauge can cause you draw problems if you are not being very careful why is that though is it because of the burn rate of the tobacco is it because of the and and the portions you're talking about portions is it like this tobacco needs a little bit less because it burns faster or, or is it the flavor that you're... It, it depends on the portions, which tobaccos you're using, the percentages that you want to use and where you're placing the, the tobaccos themselves. In this case, to give you a good, an, a good idea, if you have five tobaccos inside the filler plus a binder and a wrapper, that's seven, an easy blend would be 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%. Yeah. Right, and okay. then depending on the weight of the cigar, then you would basically divide the weights more or less, and there you have your percentages. Okay, that's that's a very easy traditional blend. Sure. Twenty, 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 twenty. Get to a hundred percent. Yeah, with different tobaccos. With Davidoff, and then you have to worry about all the nasty variables that come along with that. Placing them in the right spot to make sure you have the right flavor profile. Yes, is that it? Now, does the placement of the tobacco also cause it to burn differently as well so you're worried about that as well yeah so normally the hottest part of the cigar is the center of the pyrolysis or where you see the circle the center mm-hmm. of the circle and then right there you would place your thickest tobacco your strongest tobacco uh, so you would place your ligeros your very thick tobaccos like pilotos in nicaragua terms like your estelis and that way that one burns at a higher temperature because it needs a higher temperature and doesn't burn faster or slower than the other tobaccos. If you put your strongest tobacco to the side, then you're going to have problems where it canoes on you. Right. If you put your strongest tobaccos on the outside of the cigar, then it's going to start tunneling on you. So you have to be very careful with that kind of thing. But um, in this case, you have tobaccos that go into the Millennium blend, for example. Okay. Uh, so that's the wrapper, your Abano type wrapper. You have tobaccos that are very smooth and creamy from the signature line from Davidoff. You have Special some, R is my favorite. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the, what you're talking that's about. That's the Aniversario line. That was okay. So in this case, you have some Pilotos and some San Vicentes in here that are from the Special R line. Okay. And the San Vicente will give you that acidity, and then uh, your 
uh, pilotos will give you those walnut flavors that you might be feeling or more wooden flavors. I get that out of the Winston Churchill. I get a lot of like leather kind of nutty flavor out of the Winston Churchill line. Winston Churchill is actually a very in- interesting line because that line has four different countries. So you do have three tobaccos from Dominican Republic, including the pilotos, that leather you're looking for, but you also have some Esteli in there. Okay. Condega, that's from Nicaragua. You have Mexico, gives you sweet and spice, and then you have Ecuador, that is the wrapper, the Habano wrapper, Lino type wow. stimulation. So that one also has seven types of tobacco. That really? Yeah, seven types of tobacco, three Dominican, two Nicaraguan, but it's not on a the binder. Well, we don't we don't <laughs> say seven tobaccos on every single cigar. We have right. one cigar, the Oro Blanco. You know which one I'm talking about? Yes. Davidoff Oro Blanco. That one has nine tobaccos. Now, what's the price point on the Oro Blanco? Uh, MSRP in the U.S. is about $500. Yeah. yeah. I know the a, Oro a Blanco from uh, what we call unicorns yeah. or things that you definitely are probably never going to uh, try or have. But, hey, if you can, try the Oro Blanco. Nine different tobaccos out there. And I really suggest it. I've had it three times. Nice. Um, of course, I'm in a little bit of a privileged position. <laughs> but believe it or not, I won't. We always joke that us in the factory, we only smoke rejects. So if it's a reject that broke a little bit, you can't have it. So the three cigars I've had were all rejects. (laughs) I would never dare smoke a Oro Blanco that's in perfect condition. That's supposed to be sold. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then that's a $250 stick, right? A second. (laughs) You only had to pay $250 for it. We don't sell seconds, but (laughs) you can put a price on it. To you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Good, good. Anything else about this cigar that we should know? Special number seven. For me, it really is that this is, if you want to taste what Davidoff really is, like classic, original Davidoff, white label Davidoff, and you have one cigar to go to, I would probably go with this. This will really? give you... But this is limited edition. This is so limited edition. you can't get edition. this all, all the time. No. Okay. We, we actually are so sold out basically in the U.S. Get it while you can get it. But what if this isn't available anymore at my retailer? Should I go to the White Label series? If you want to taste what Davidoff originally is, what the type of blending that we do is, without having to branch into other tobacco regions in other countries that we have started, I would probably go for Special R, which you mentioned. I love that. That cigar. is a classic, iconic, one of our oh, top man. sellers. And there's Great a reason sweetness. why it's a top seller. Or if you want a Toro size and maybe a little bit more umph, Aniversario number three. Number three. Aniversario number To me, that one always three. had more cedar notes to yes. the flavor. Especially if you have it in a tubo. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's got the cedar inside the mm-hmm. tubo. Before we kind of get into more of the conversation, I kind of want to just set this tone for what people can kind of get a vibe from where you grew up. So growing up in the Dominican Republic, kind of living the life of a farmer's son and more importantly that farmer is a tobacco farmer for probably one of the biggest tobacco companies in the world what does that scene look like for you well rob um i have two sides i have my mother's side of the family and i have my dad's side of the family where my mother's uh, father my grandfather was a farmer uh for not not only um different types of uh, crops, including rice and coffee, but he also had a lot of cattle. So on that side of the family, I spent a lot of time out on the farm. So a true farmer, like yeah. what, in Every America? Every day waking up would... at four o'clock in the morning, being Got out livestock. there. Livestock. Yeah, livestock, coming back late at night after a whole day, you know. Uh, but that was your mom's land. life. Yeah. She grew up literally on the farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. she literally grew up in the farm. Then later on in life, moved into the city. Okay. Um, where she met my father, and my father uh, comes from a tobacco side of the family where we were processors of tobacco. My father was actually the first person in the family of a big, long family of tobacco people um, that actually made cigars. But when my grandfather passed away, I was five at the time, this is 1995, now, my, is this your dad's grandfather or uh, dad no, or my your mother, mom's? my mother. Okay, so your mom's dad passes yeah, away. So Yeah, so she inherits some of the land. And that's when actually my dad starts growing tobacco on our family's land. So before for, he wasn't growing tobacco, he was just... He was growing, but with third parties. Okay. Yeah. 
Got it. Um, so somebody else was growing it. He was saying, hey, we're going to buy it from you, ferment it, and make it into cigars. Well, we're actually going to invest in you, and we are going to finance your farm. So it was with contracts. So my father okay. would work with other farmers and control their quality and everything. Okay, then, so very hands-on. Yeah, very hands-on. But he just didn't own the land. He didn't own the land. Got it. In 1995, uh, 1996, that's when we first started. Uh, that's our first crop in my mother's land. Perfect Hikome. timing. Right before yeah. the boom. Uh, right the in second the, boom. Right in the middle of the boom. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Or sorry, right in the middle. Yeah, right, right in the middle of the boom. So, and now we have a couple different farms. Uh, that uh, The f- most famous one, Hikome, and then also Yamasa. Now, what was the first one? Hikome. That's the farm that... How do you spell that? that? Uh, J-I-C-O-M-E with an accent. Okay. Hikome. Hikome. Yeah. That's uh, about, for those of you who know the Dominican geography, uh, seven kilometers after Navarrete, going uh, out towards the west. Okay. Um, and Yamasa is about 30 miles north of uh, Santo Domingo outside of the region. Very, very different climate. Now the Yamasa, I only know that because of obviously the Davidoff Yamasa brand. So really you're naming some of these cigars after the territory where they're grown. A lot of it has come out of that. Um, it's very much like the wines, you know? Right. You have the Bordeaux region, you have the Yamasa region. Got it. You know, so. So very similar to wine culture. Mm-hmm. Named after the territory where it's grown. Exactly. That's perfect. perfect. And I grew up in a family that you know you have the farmer side and then you have the tobacco side and at some point both came into uh one right um but for me it's really a mix of cigars being made and also spending a lot of time on the farm and okay. and that's so where you i grew live up. on the farm per se no but you grew up with that farm culture and that mentality and you worked on the farm i have worked in the farm yeah. right so that farm life is a part of your yeah, Essence. Going, growing up, going visit my grandfather every weekend, have family reunions out there in the farm, swim in the river, go horseback riding, go okay. see the coffee being toasted, go see the crop as it evolves in the tobacco fields. I have right. pictures with my family in every single one of our crops as right. we grow up and all the sons and daughters of my dad going together. So yeah. growing up on a farm, at least, or in that culture, what things did you do that you should not have done on the farm and definitely got in trouble for? Hmm. Well, in the factory, there's things I should not have done, but my father allowed it at the time. <laughs> uh, like riding your bicycle to the galera. <laughs> you know? um, this is a workplace. And the work kid's place. riding his bike around yeah. doing whatever he wants to do. Um, one of the things in the warehouses that I always laugh at is um, you, know, you stack all these bales of tobacco in your inventory. Um, and my mother and my dad allowed me to do certain things that I would never allow my kids to do and it's climb up there and play hide and seek and play tag and now I climb up there and I look down and I'm like how did my parents ever allow me to do this right you know it's like, yeah. and we would play hide and seek it was it's like, like a our jungle little, gym yeah like jungle gym was our playground Sweet. Uh, I love. I still love doing it. I still love climbing up on the bales. I'm from the Midwest, so I'm mm-hmm. imagining cornfields, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of that movie-esque, like the kids running through the corn stalks that are mm-hmm. way above them. Did you run through the tobacco fields as a kid and just like kind of get lost and hide and, t- hide and seek and tag? and? Yes, we did do that. But we were very careful with the leaves. That was the rule. Okay, so it's like yeah. way more sacred than corn yeah. because corn, you don't really care about the mm-hmm. leaves or the, you know, you, obviously you don't want to bend the stock over. Every but. time you break a leaf, you're losing a binder. It goes to filler. Right. So we are very, very careful as we run and as we walk through the farms. I would play more like um, in the curing barns. I would climb up those things. Okay. You know, so the curing the barn is where... There's a bunch of different rows, basically, of tobacco on sticks, right? On yeah. big, long sticks that they set over other beams. So and then you've got to climb in, yeah. up and keep going, right? If you've ever been inside the structure of a curing barn, you have different rows for the tobaccos and different rows for the people hanging those tobacco to climb up. So I would climb all the way up. And, I mean, we're talking three stories high, you know? Did you ever get worried being that high as a kid? Were you ever afraid of heights? You don't have those... Uh, worries as a kid. You right. don't thinking that far ahead. Right. You know, you don't know that you are not 
destructible. You feel <laughs> like you're invincible. Yeah. You know, and if you break a bone, plates are flexible. Kids yeah. heal easy. Right. We don't heal that easy anymore. No. So the family business, you're basically playing in the family business. So now that you're in the family business, do you guys have like an unspoken rule that's like no talking about work while we do family things like birthdays, get togethers, holiday celebrations? Is it like, hey, let's not talk about business because we do this all the time or is it different? No, we don't have that unspoken rule. So you do talk about business. Oh, yeah, all the time. My dad, however, um, very interesting. My dad is... uh, the son of a Dutch family. So we're Dutch on my father's side. Okay. My grandfather, Klaas Peter, I have his name. Ah. I, I'm blessed to be the only one with his name. So I got to carry that legacy. <laughs> nice. But um, my grandfather had three other brothers. They were all from Amsterdam and they moved okay. from Holland uh, to America. So two of them moved to the Dominican Republic. One of them moved in 1925 my grandfather moved to the American Republic in 1933. Okay. And uh, the other two moved to Brazil. Uh, the families have dispersed, but they all worked in tobacco. So in tobacco in, or, uh, in Paraguay, in tobacco in Brazil, tobacco in Indonesia, uh, tobacco in Dominican Republic. Uh, some of them even went into Cuba all a little over. bit, all over. Yeah. And um, what was interesting, they were all processors of tobacco and they... Uh, sold tobacco to different companies and they were all competitors against each other so when my dad was growing up you couldn't talk about tobacco in the over dinner okay so because his brother essentially is trying to sell tobacco to to the the same same guys and your dad's like i'm trying to sell tobacco to this guy yeah so my my grandfather always joked henke to my dad don't work in tobacco you shouldn't work in tobacco and he was saying this to you to my no to my grandfather to my dad. Oh, okay. So your grandfather yeah. to your dad is saying, don't work in don't tobacco. Don't work in tobacco. It's nasty. You know, you, there's a lot of family fights going on. And sadly, but, my grandfather passes away when my dad is 17. Wow. That's and, a formal age. Yeah. And my dad um, was left to be in charge of the family, basically. Now, your dad, I mean, how many siblings then have to take over your grandfather's legacy of, you know, continuing on tobacco? I have an aunt. So it so, was my dad and my and my aunt. And, okay. Um, and was the aunt involved at all? Or she was worked she... in cigars and distribution. Okay. But it really was my dad. But cigars have been then essentially a, a, the primary focus for your dad's whole family the whole time. The so whole time. Really, if his dad is telling him, don't go into this, what else is he going to do? If he, like, this has been our family the whole time. You know, my dad tried to follow my grandfather's advice. Really? He tried. He went to study in, in Mexico, in the Tecnológico de Monterrey. What did he want to do? Uh, he, he studied industrial engineering. And when he came back, he, he applied to different jobs. And the job that he landed was in, in tobacco. For it's, industrial engineering. Yeah. He actually, his first title was engineer. He so didn't know what, do you, what to do. What do they need an industrial engineer for in a tobacco? So in a factory. Oh. Or in a factory. Yeah, okay. in a factory. As an, as an engineer, you're looking at the processes. You're trying to see how you can make things more efficient, weighing how fast somebody does a certain skill or a job. And his job, his first job was to make the factory more efficient. Okay. And um, some years later, he was running the place. It was the Tabacalera. Uh, the government owned, uh, uh, at the time, cigarette factory. So he also introduced the cigar factory into the Tabacalera um, okay. some years later. But... So the factory that he was originally working for was a cigarette factory, yeah, but not tobac- a premium yeah, cigar. But tobacco. He was mainly so focused on processing tobacco. Okay. And he actually learned how to blend first with the normal uh, American cigarette blends and everything. So really? That's how he first started, to- trying the tobaccos that they would get from different parts of the United States or different parts of the world for their blends. Perfect. That's how he learned. Crash course. Start mm-hmm. right at the simplest term, right? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay. And... um. Now we fast forward to my family, and it's all out tobacco. Family dinners, um, family events. Uh, last weekend, I was uh, the first communion of one of my nieces. I saw that yeah. on social media. Yeah. And um, what do we talk about? We talk about tobacco. <laughs> we talk about the cigars. We talk about what's changing in the industry. And we all work in different parts of the industry. Um, 
my sister uh, buys, grows, my sister grows wrapper tobacco she sells. My other brother has uh, a small factory, uh, yep. the Kellner Boutique factory. Uh, my other sister works in tobacco. I work in tobacco. My other brother works for a processor, a wrapper. And wow. so we all have our different viewpoints of par- different parts of the industry. Sure. And it's just great to talk about what we all see, what we think, and how the industry is evolving. So it's not necessarily that you guys are all with Davidoff, per se. No. You're all in different facets of the mm-hmm. of the tobacco business. So when you do get together, it's not like a... We're not competing. Oh, my God, I've already had this conversation no. with you, mm-hmm. you know, you know, back in the office. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be able to bounce things off of each other and get ideas. Yeah. Actually, okay. my big brother and my two big sisters, at one moment, they all worked in, t- in the Davidoff factory. Okay. So... I'm in the Davidoff factory now, so I'm the only one of the six kids right now that is with Davidoff, plus my father. Is it like a, I'm just thinking in my head, utopia of cigars always with your family? Like everyone's smoking cigars and there's always boxes and you just light up anytime you want? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. The dream is real. (laughs) The dream is real. Um, If you like cigars... That is the dream, that is the dream. you know. Um, we sometimes joke because we have cigars laying all over the place. Really? Know? Oh yeah, all Just over. Everywhere. The place. We have. We don't have like huge humidors. You we, don't have humidors because it's so we, humid down there. We, yeah, it is very humid. We have a lot of little humidors, so we have like three humidors in the living room. I have humidor in my room, humidor in the office. There's just cigars so you just all, pick up all a cigar over the place. You want. Uh, right now, in my parents' house, there's a whole countertop. There's just cigars just laying out there. Um, that is a perfect <laughs> office mess. Honey, clean up your desk. Sorry, there's 700 cigars on top of it. I can't figure it out right now. Sometimes, we have to smoke our way out. Sometimes I, we're, we're all guilty of this in my family. Sometimes I would get back home from work, you know, and a very long day. And I just, the first thing I just want to do is just lay in my bed. And I just lay in my bed. And I'm like, oh, shit. You pull a cigar out from and the, your bed? Like, oh, I just laid on a cigar. Oh, sorry. That was the Oral Blanco yeah, I just yeah. laid on. I, I, just, I just broke a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reject. <laughs> Let me smoke the reject. <laughs> that happens all the time. We have a lot of funny stories. They're in stories. his We're bed. Afraid. They're in his office. They're in his living room. We can't escape you know, the cigar. We respect our cigars so much, but it is such a daily part of our lives right. that... Sometimes you say, okay, cigar is sacred. You have to keep it humidified, you know. Uh, for us, a cigar is it's like writing with a pencil. You see it all the time. You use it. You put it in your pocket. Right. You, you throw it in your bag. And as long as the cigar is in good humidity, it's not breaking, you're really taking care of it, there's no problem. And right. you break it a little bit, then now you're smoking a reject. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's a little crack, you know. You slick it a little bit. You pull back the, the tobacco, yeah. you know, use a little bit of glue. And the cigar is perfect. Back to you normal. break it here. Once you smoke it an inch, the cigar is perfect. You know? Oh, right. So there's that, like, yeah, I get what you're saying. So you want to take care of your cigars, but at the end of the day, if there's a little blemish, it's still smokable and enjoyable, right? Tobacco will always taste the same. You know, as long as the humidity is great, there's, you do take care of your cigars, but in the end of the day, tobacco tastes how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. And tobacco leaves are much more durable than you would think. I okay. mean, let's face it. There's about 170 steps that tobacco has to go through before it makes it into cigar. Right. You know, over 300 hands that touch these leaves before it makes it into cigar. So tobacco is very resistant. Right. It just doesn't break that resilient. easy. It's very resilient, yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of people out there are paying a lot of money for this. Right. You know, and they have their humidors so perfectly neat and everything. And that's right. They should be doing that. Right. You know, they should respect hard earned dollars spent on something that we just want to enjoy and relax to. You have to respect the cigar. You have to respect the craftsmanship. You have to respect the hard work that went into this. You know, Mm -hmm. all these people working into this. Um, But as long as you understand it and you respect it, you do what you want with it. You know? Okay. And uh, for me, I respect it. And I respect it so much because I know everything it's capable of. Right. You know, so I'm, I can play around with a lot with it. <laughs> I'm much more flexible. You got it, some comfortable, you're mm. comfortable in it. I'm very comfortable with it. Right. Very, very you grew comfortable. grew up in it. Yeah. I kind of want to, since you, you're talking about growing up in it and, and just thinking of like your dad's position, 
when did it hit you through your childhood or through your adolescence that like, okay, this guy's not just my dad. He's, he's a master blender of Davidoff. Like, what was that like to get that kind of different frame of reference in your head? My parents were very good about in, involving me in everything they did. Okay. So I have a lot of memories of my parents taking me out to dinners, taking me out to their events. Uh, whenever there was groups and different factory tours, farm tours, they would take me out. I remember my parents making me miss school so I could go and spend the time at the farm with the groups. Okay. Uh, it was school. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a learning experience to go to the farm. Um, of course, very different environment back then in the 90s, middle of the boom. You know, if you had an eight, eight-year-old kid, son of this master blender, it, everybody saw it as normal if he came to the dinner and he was surrounded by this environment of a lot of people enjoying and learning about cigars. Nowadays, you see a small kid next to a group of cigar uh, aficionados and people make a weird eye to it, you know, they Why, doubt. Because, like, like, don't bring a kid around cigar Yeah, don't bring a kid, smoke. don't bring a kid around cigar smoke, you know, a lot of people but for are you, that was much normal. more scared. For me, that's normal. And it was encouraged mm. because this is part mm. of our life, this is what we mm. do. It was very normal. So, nobody would think it weird if the son of a master blender came to a dinner. Oh, you know, so you're going to dinners I with your dad? I was going to dinners, and my dad would uh, make me grab the microphone and say, Hey, uh, class, um, say hello to uh, the group that came from Spain and it, say welcome to our country. You know, So I would be grabbing the mic at eight, nine years old and just saying the welcome. The prodigy's and, on the microphone. Look at this. At eight, I love years, it. at eight years old. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Yeah. Welcome to my family farm. Yeah. You're yeah. learning it from... Very young age. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And to me, he was my dad. And of course, he was little small groups. It didn't ever really hit home until um, I started going into IPCPR. I would do the trips to Vegas. I would do the trips to the United States, to New York. I would go visit cigar stores. And I would just be this 13, 14-year-old kid walking around with his dad across the city visiting stores. You know? sure. And people knew him. And one time I went to Boston and we're walking down the street. We walk by a cigar bar and I'm there with my brothers, my, my mother, and this random person just runs out of the store, says hello to my dad, take, asks for a picture, says thank like, you. Almost like paparazzi or like paparazzi a kind of thing. Runs back into the store and, my, and I just look at my dad and like, what was that? I'm like, I have no idea who that was. <laughs> but he, he's, he's obviously famous, <laughs> right? So, so in the cigar, cigar world. Famous. In the cigar world. He's known. So that was the first time that you were like, okay, okay, this is different. Random people know him, and random people ask for his pictures. Right, this is not normal. Okay, um, but so he was always like that. What did that do to you? You were like, were you, did you have this different appreciation then for your for your dad? Like, okay, well, this is different than I thought it was because this is so mm. washed over that I deal with this every day. It never changed anything. It never okay. changed how I I looked at my dad. I just. It didn't appre- change your core look of your dad, but you realized just, I his impact. I appreciated it, and I realized it. Okay. And my dad was always my dad, my dad, my dad, until more or less around the age of 17 when I started working with him, and I started doing events with him, and I started really being involved, right. uh, doing seminars, and that's when he this became is, more of a mentor. Yeah. And he became more of a, uh, not just father figure, but he's teaching me, and we're working together. Okay. At so, that moment, he, he was, I don't, I don't consider him my boss, even though he is el jefe. Right, yeah. You know, I consider him a partner, a friend, and a mentor. Okay. You know, and I respect him to the ends of the earth. And there might be other people out there that have a similar experience to you, like where you understand that your dad or your family is representing something bigger, like that family name is representing something bigger in culture. And for you... Did you always enjoy representing the Kellner name or was it something that you're like, okay, enough of this. Sometimes it's like a, a thing that I'm like, okay, I have to do this. The Kellner name is very tied down to the Davidoff name. You know, uh, even though my father first started with other brands such as Griffin's, Avo, uh, he created Ashton. He helped Alec Bradley grow too. Um, right. Um, he had all these other brands. Uh, Davidoff came, well, the first production of Davidoff started in January 1990. And 
my father's first uh, initial conversations were in 89 and I was born November, 1990. So in 89? I, I was born November, 1990. 1990. So when I was born already, Davidoff was a part of our family. So the Kellner name and Davidoff mm -hmm. are almost one in the same. For the most part. Yeah. You know, that's why you say my dad is the master blender for Davidoff. Right. Uh, nowadays, uh, Eladio has also taken the role as yeah. master blender and leads that role. So for you mm. then, having to represent not only just mm. the Kellner name, but the Davidoff name, is there ever a point where it's like, okay, I, I, I really appreciate this, but holy cow, it's a lot of weight on my shoulders. There is big shoes to fill. Big shoes. Big, 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 big shoes. shoes. Yeah. Um, but I was never stressed about it. I've never been really? stressed about it. So no um, stress comes from having to... My dad always gave me the choice. Do you want to really? work in tobacco? Do you want to work in cigars? So do if you, you had okay. he would have still supported you. He would have still said, supported you me. said, I don't want to do any of this. Mm -hmm. It's not for me. I'm going to go be a banker. He'd be like, great. I, mean, I don't think it was in the cards for me to be a banker. <laughs> but it really... Uh, we say we're a very... Uh, unimaginative, not creative family. We all do the same. We all work in tobacco. We all work in cigars. No, but wait a minute. Really wait a minute. You're saying you're a not creative family. You create multiple levels of cigars with seven different blends, you know, tobaccos in them. Nine if you're smoking... Oro Blanco. Oro Blanco. That's creative. It is, but we never... <laughs> ventured out into other things <laughs> we do all do the same thing you know do what you're good at uh, but that's the joke you know <laughs> and uh for me really because there was no stress it was even easier to pick it you know when a parent or a father figure puts that stress on you and everybody puts that stress on you hey you have to be the next hanky kellner you have to be the next master blender you have to be you know, and they say, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have right. to. You know, sometimes you want to fight it. But yeah. when it just happens naturally that you just fall into a role where you can be part of the cigar family, where you can be part of the Davidoff uh, family, it, there's no, nothing being forced upon you. What specifically did your dad do that made you feel that you didn't have any pressure to live up to these big shoes? Because you talk about trying to fill the big shoes but you're not stressed about it. So what exactly did your dad do that made you just feel like, this is, this is fine, I can do this? He started from when I was very little, as well as my mother, you know, and by putting us in those situations, it was never uncomfortable. We grew to- and Handing you the microphone at eight. Yeah. And okay, and you're like, okay. Yeah, and um, we, we were nervous, we were little kids, right. you know, but it was really uh, just, mentorship and teaching us what it was like and you just learn to grow to love it how many times have you heard from somebody this is a thing you fall in love with right. once you're in it you can't get out how right. many people have tried to get out and they didn't come back you know because this is very easy uh not only a uh, cigar is not only very easy to love but the society the people around it right the environment the and lounge. culture that's what i love about people it just love sitting it. down people are all like-minded people. They understand once you have a cigar in your hand, you are equal. Right. You know, at this very moment, we're enjoying the same cigar, we're talking about yeah. the same thing, and we are equal, you know? And that doesn't happen in many industries. Right. You know? Yeah. Any two people can walk into those doors, grab cigars, sit right here, and they're equal. For that hour, two hours, right. they're on the same playing field. It's a cool denominator that we all have. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So this is an industry you learn to love, and it was not hard at all to choose it. Sure. My dad, though, however, did ask me several times, are you sure? Okay, so he's just Be checking. Like, he, yeah, because he wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing this because everybody else in my family was doing it. Right. He was just making sure that I was doing it because I really loved it, and I was sure. going to be happy doing it. Sure. Which I am very happy. Wonderful. That's yeah. good to hear. This, so is, this is awesome. The role that your father played, obviously, in your mentorship, and you've talked to talked about him being, you know, a partner instead of like this overarching boss telling you what to do. That's super interesting 
to me, I mean, I, I didn't have a father figure growing up. My father passed away when I was six. So with a father figure being a great mentor in your life, how did that impact kind of how you took on the passion or how you've uh, developed as a person? Like how have you taken on maybe possibly some of the traits that your father has and said, yeah, I want to carry these on. We're six kids. Um, not one kid is the same. It is very, yeah, all parents joke. Oh, all my kids are different. And right. it is very true. Um, some of us are more outgoing. Some of us are a little bit more reserved. Some of us like numbers. Some of us like administrative. Um, you could say that I was probably one of the, out of the, out of the six, there's two, myself and, and probably Monica is probably the other one that's, we're very outgoing. They're, we all are going in our own different ways, especially in what we love. But the very outgoing ones that are extroverts, uh, sure. I'm one of them. Okay. And... Uh, is your dad an extrovert then? My dad is a big extrovert. He's really? A, a, yeah, he's a social person. Cool. He loves talking to people. He loves cracking jokes. Anybody that knows him knows that he is hilarious. Nice. And Relatable kind of a guy. Yeah. Very kind of guy you want to meet in a cigar lounge. Mm-hmm. And that transfers over to me where my job right now is to be a brand ambassador of Davidoff Cigars. And I say that my job is to teach people what we do and teach them to love why we do this. Okay, that is a very interesting point. So you're teaching people what it's all about and what goes into cigars to make this experience. How does your experience as the son of the master blender, how is that different than somebody else like me? Just say, hey, Rob, we're going to train you how to teach people. How, are, how is yours different? I have a foot in the door because I have a right. lot of relatable experiences. I have a lot of cool stories. And, and you probably learned it from a really young age. Mm-hmm. So it's really been just ingrained naturally. You know, when you read a, when you read a book or when you uh, hear somebody tell a story, uh, or you, you read a book and you read about a concept, there's always a story attached to that concept where that concept came from or why they learned the way they did and they put in a story so that makes it relatable. Right. I have a lot of stories. I know the history. I grew up in the history. And hearing it from somebody that's a brand ambassador who uh, worked somewhere else, became an employee of the company, um, they can learn the stories, but they didn't live it. Okay, so you're living the story. So I'm living the story and I'm telling the story that I lived. And I love that about my job because for me, it's very easy to just tell a story and people understand. Right. And it's relatable. It's uh, down to earth. It's funny. You're hearing it straight from a source that is tied down to the family name and it's tied down to the Davidoff name. Right. And that is probably one of the things that gives me a pretty cool perspective of the brand ambassador role. Right. And I love going to different places and being like, do you understand why this cigar is so special? And exactly. do you understand why special R is so special? That's the cigar you mentioned that you love, right? Yeah. I mean, that cigar was created in 1991. Really? Yeah, 1991. But to give you a cool snippet of that story, when my father first created that cigar for Davidoff, his biggest ring gauge at the time was a 48. And what is that one, a 54? That's a 50. That's a 50. So the market had not, was just starting to grow into a Robusto format, where today you hear Robusto, Toro are the two top sellers. When my dad started, Robusto format, 50 ring gauge, didn't exist. Really? You know, so Everyone was smoking skinnier smaller ring gauge cigars yeah the 50s were beginning to be a thing and like i'm sure you had to make new molds and all that stuff yep. for all that stuff oh yeah but creating new molds um creating new ways of make of rolling cigars specialty the first time we started rolling specialty the mold didn't exist it's really? a very unique shape I that love cigar that, one. that cigar we started 
creating that shape by pressing it with paper. So we would like press it with rolling paper around it. This. Why is that? What's because the shape is more like a. You know how the shape kind of just. Yeah, gradually. Slow, gradually opens almost up. Almost like a trumpet. Yeah, like a trumpet. That's because of the paper. So you're because using paper to twist it and, in certain and, areas and tighten it down more. Yeah, you were tightening it here and then you were loosening now, it up and it created like this cone effect. Are you, and that's how the specialty came to Are you putting more filler in the, in, the, in, the, in the fatter part or does it all have the same filler? You're no, just... you, have to, you have to put different filler amounts okay. in different parts of the cigar. So like any perfecto. The, the flavor should almost change a little bit because there's different amounts of tobacco in there. Yeah. So Because that's one of my favorite shapes too is when you get an actual perfecto. Mm-hmm. It almost should change like five different times, right? Because you're going through these different layers of tobacco. Yeah, that you're smoking different proportions of tobacco at different moments. So perfecto shapes are great when you're looking for changes in the right. in the smoking experience. I love that. Mm-hmm. Like if if you can nail a perfecto or a or mm-hmm. anything that you know trumpets out or you know has different ring gauges through it, mm-hmm. and then you taste that flavor. When, when you come up to that part, you're like, whoa, it's getting skinnier. Now it's getting a little bit sweeter, spicier. Mm. Or, oh, man, during that fat part, it was really, like, smooth and, like, mm. calmed and, but like, caramely. And then you change. That, to me, like, through this cigar smoking experience is, like, nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. So I come to these stores and I travel um, to different parts of the world. And I get to tell these stories that I basically grew up in. And... Of course, I know all the stories uh, from Zeno Davidoff's time, from Dr. Schneider, uh, where the company came from. Right. But where I have a lot of fun is telling the stories of where I grew up, my personal experiences, me working in the factory, me working in the farm, me growing up with all these people that were essential parts to the company. Right. And that's Very where cool. the fun is. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So... I won't. I won't be a brand ambassador. I, I don't think I can fill those shoes. <laughs> well, you can be a brand ambassador. You just got to learn how to tell the stories. Exactly. Because exactly. that's really where the beauty of it is. It is facts. I can tell you facts about this cigar all day. Every I'm more day. interested in the stories, man. You're more interested about the things that create an emotional attachment to this cigar. Yeah. You know? That was really cool to hear about the special R. Mm-hmm. Just how it started out and just kind of. And. And now we're growing into bigger ring gauges and the market has completely changed. Yeah. You have to adapt with the market change. Right. You know, so that's how we all evolve and we all change. Being, yeah, I still think it's really funny that you said your family's not creative. Being creative and being a creator of, 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 of a product that we all consume as cigar lovers. But because this is, technically this was a living product right beforehand you have to care for a living product totally different like go back to the farm you know cattle got to be fed things need to be watered things need to be fed how is that part of the lifestyle like how is that how do you see that not only in yourself but also in your father like you're caring for something that's living that needs to be transformed into something that everybody enjoys when they walk into a cigar lounge that's a different viewpoint than just going to work and doing a job. In a factory environment, it's a lot of passion. It's a lot of people with the same mentality for the same goal, trying to create this product. And this cigar, especially for Davidoff's purposes, has to be three things. It has to be positive of taste meaning hey we like it, it has to speaking be of taste this consistent. is really good it right now really it's good. getting sweeter mm-hmm. and it's amazing and the spices have stayed the whole time i love it yeah sorry Keep but going. um uh sometimes i joke that this is the assembly part you know you make sure that when you make the cigar when you craft the cigar it's as perfect as possible so that the end consumer aficionado can have an utmost enjoyable experience right in the farming you got to wake up really early. Mm-hmm. You have to wake up as the sun is rising, you know, be there uh, as the weather is changing from the cool. You see the dew, you see the sun rising, the mist lifting. You start applying water if it's necessary or you start applying the necessary nutrients to the, to the soil. And it really is about creating that culture again uh, with your employees in the farm, making them understand that every leaf you break is precious. Right. You, you got to treat every leaf as 
perfect as possible. And then you see it grow from a seed that looks like dust. And then right. it grows to a plant of two kilos, 20 million times its original weight <laughs> in about a hundred days. And hundred days. In a hundred days, a seed goes from dust to a plant my size or higher. Wow. And what's really cool is that it's like your baby. Yes. You know, it's you like- You have to spend a lot of time with it, right? You got to see them as they grow. You got to see any hiccups that might come in. Uh, you got to analyze the weather. Because that's what your dad and all the farmers are doing. They're always adjusting. Okay, hey, this this isn't looking right, or this is we need to do this to make this correct itself. Because if you didn't, if you just neglected it, and you know, turn the the automatic sprinkler will just kick on, right? Yeah. So the automatic sprinkler kicks on. This is America, right? We have underground sprinklers for our yards. So uh, why why don't why don't we just apply that mentality? Automatic sprinkling. It'll be fine. Every Why day is, is it different. not fine? Every day on the tobacco farm is different. And every day you have to do something different depending on the weather and what God is delivering to you. You got to adjust. Part, yeah, you have to adjust. You have to adapt. And, and that's the hard part. And we're, remember, we're not just farmers. Davidoff controls all these farms in different parts of the American public. And we also have all these partnerships all across the world. We have to look at and we are thinking not only about the end crop, we're thinking about how it's going to be processed, how we're going to ferment it, how we're going to age it, and how it's going to go into the final cigar. Right. So we're thinking five years plus in advance when we're starting this crop. Five years plus. Yeah. So you plant the seed. You don't see it in a cigar until at least five years later. Five years later. Mm-hmm. Not even going to be a we figment start- of our imagination until we get no, to No, no. We already come in with a thought. Uh, we know well, yes, we know what thought. farm we know we know what soil it is what seed we're using we're planning for the future but the cool thing is again you're seeing this babies these babies grow you know and if you mess up you're destroying your babies you know yeah and you see every step of the way and you see that your decision from last week was successful or your decision from last week was not successful how can we adapt to make the crop grow sure. better. You got to adjust. And we see it every single day. And we have our, our farmers, we have agronomers that go to the farms. And then you have to make sure that they all have the same mentality and they are all coming in with the same end goal. And so our tobacco is able to one day make it into a Davidoff cigar. It's really fun experience. And it, is, it really puts you into contact with nature for me, it will always be the farming is the most beautiful part. That's amazing. For me, that will be always the most beautiful part. So your dad, obviously growing these babies, these tobacco babies, I would then say that makes him very suitable to be a great father. So a great role model, right? You know, cause he's always adjusting and, and learning. But was there ever a time where you're were in, in kind of what you saw your dad doing? Were you ever like, wow, I'm really lucky that I, I have my father to teach me these, these, not only just things about tobacco, but just about life. Like his perspective on this is a lot different than maybe somebody else. And that really makes it special. What I like about my father and my family is that we are not just growing a product or we're not just making cigars, but we are growing these, our children, you know? Right. And we're growing a type of mentality. We're growing a type of philosophy. And there's a lot of people that say that my dad is not only very social, he's not only a person that is uh, super funny, but he's a poet. And sure. he has a way with words. And when we talk about our tobacco, how it grows, how once it's ready to harvest, is giving a reverence to the soil. A leaf that is ready to harvest will start re- uh, bowing down to the soil. And the way we look at things, there's always uh, a deeper meaning for us. It's not just, oh, it's ready to be harvested because the colors are changing. No, it's, there's a deeper meaning. There's a philosophical meaning. There, yeah. It's almost like a religion for it's us. It's telling us it's ready. It's telling us it's ready. We are talking the tobacco language, 
but there is it's for us it's a religion it's a form of living you know it's a sure. cult you know we love this thing because it's not just making i don't know pampers toilet paper uh toothbrushes you know right. we're making something out of a living organism yeah man that's totally and different so for us there's a philosophical attachment to it we it's with right. love right and, and that's probably the best word there is love in what we do a passion and love mm. and a drive so class as the brand ambassador that title i mean so many people could think like okay what does a brand ambassador do but what is the what is the impact that that david davidoff has on the cigar culture i mean there's so much there that i'm sure you could just go for hours <laughs> i'm sure if you give if you give me time we can be here all day we're going to be here for a while um davidoff like you said it's full of rich history uh, very important people uh, starting with the Ottinger family uh, their shops in the late 1800s and then moving into uh, Zeno Davidoff himself who came in with his father and they started Davidoff of Geneva since 1911 store you know in Geneva Switzerland right. from the Zeno Davidoff's perspective this is a product that has a lot of passion, a lot of culture, a lot of Yeah, we heritage. covered a lot of that passion. And for me, Zeno was, and actually also Avo Vazian, I got to throw him in there. For me, Zeno and Avo, for me, they were like the perfect uh, sales guys, marketing guys, um, with the most passion ever. They could put a cigar into your hand and make you love it. I remember very specific stories of Avo uh, seeing somebody else smoke a cigar. He's like, here, don't smoke that. Here, smoke my cigars. This is an Avo. By the way, I'm Avo. But <laughs> this is my cigar. And Zena would do this too. Try this. Enjoy it. Understand why you enjoy it. And they would make you love this product. It was a perfect, perfecting, perfect marketing guy. And... My job is to carry on that legacy that Sino had, uh, where my job is to try to make people understand this and make people love this product. In the past, a lot of people would say that Davidoff is prestige. You know, to this day, sure. Davidoff is still prestige. Davidoff is um, the the cigar that means luxury. Right. You know, that white label. That's band. what I represent it as. Yeah. You know, it's that upper echelon. It's that celebratory stick. Mm -hmm. It's the one where you're really going to sit down and enjoy it. And if you look at all our events in the past and you look at our marketing and all, uh, IPCPR, it was always people, suit, tie, tuxedos, very well dressed. Uh, in the very, uh, I wouldn't say uptight, but in a very top tier level. And my job as a young brand ambassador is to make people understand that this is not only for the elite but this is a cigar that anybody can have you know it's a luxury product but it is very different than any other luxury type of product because some people might dream of having uh, their mansion their jet you know sure. drive the best car some people aspire to different things and uh, these luxury items that one day I will be able to obtain. But cigars is a luxury item that you can, maybe not every day, but it's an obtainable, attainable luxury. It's affordable luxury. Right. And to any cigar aficionado out there, treat yourself. From time to time, grab a Davidoff cigar and it is obtainable to anybody. Right. So you can taste, you can experience the flavors and the aromas of a Davidoff, of the highest luxury in the cigar world. And it is affordable to you. Right. And you can be one with the person sitting next to you. You're again at that same level. Yeah. And in this industry that has been evolving so much, it is very, it's a very attacked industry. And what, wait, wait, what was that word? It's an, it's an industry that's very attacked. 
Attacked. Okay, Attacked. yeah, by like FDA by regulations. FDA, different regulations, Smoking different organizations bans. out there. And we have to let people understand that this is a different type of product. Right. This is not the I don't same. rush here and I'm like, give me a cigar right away because I have to have it. I come here because I want to come here, mm-hmm. relax, sit down with somebody, mm-hmm. have a good conversation. Cigars, uh, just to give you an example, cigars are not addictive. Right. You know, I don't know anybody that is addicted to cigars. It's addicting to, to sit here and just have a good time. That's what's addictive. But, a good conversation. Uh, I love that. A cigarette smoker is, you know, it, it's a victim. A chemical, a chemical it, Yeah, but addiction. a cigarette smoker is, is a victim to their vice. Right. You know, they have to have a cigarette. They're addicted to it. A cigar aficionado, he's the owner of his pleasure. Right. You know, he owns his time. He owns, he decides when he's, the conditions are favorable to be, to enjoy a cigar. Right. It's two completely different mentalities. So what are you doing as like the brand ambassador then? Like, cause we have to change, you're, you're kind of saying we have to change that a little bit, right? Because somebody else or some other entities out there are trying to take that away from us. They're trying to say, you know, this is something that shouldn't be enjoyed in the way it is, or it should be regulated. Um, what are you doing to, to help prevent that? We have to open up everybody's mind. We have to make them understand that this is a different product. This is a different process. And this is, it contains com- completely different materials. It is 100% natural. Right. And it is enjoyed in a different manner. And it's enjoyed by different kinds of people. I think that's the key people. part, is the, is the way it's enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And our job, not only as brand ambassador, but our job as cigar aficionados is to let the world understand what we have here and what the differences are. Right. I'm all for different types of regulations, right? But you cannot be excessive, you know? And for me, making people understand why they love this passion is probably the most important thing. I always go into seminars and I teach them the basics. I do cigar 101 all the time, all over the world. But for me, once I teach them, I create other ambassadors. And the Davidoff philosophy of creating a product that will never fail you, creating a product that is consistent, that is a balanced smoke, you know, a balanced experience. This is a really balanced smoke, by the way. All your palate in a certain way is balanced. It's here. It's not one dimensional. It's complex. And creating a product like this goes with a certain mentality. And Davidoff has evolved where now they are not only its original white label band, but now we're catering to different types of flavor profiles. We're tasting the wider world through Davidoff. We're acquiring different types of tobaccos from Nicaragua, from Brazil, from new regions such as Yamasa, using tobaccos from all over the world so that people can understand what a Davidoff cigar is, not by taste, but by construction, by flavor profiles, by mentality of smoking this you know it's enjoying a balanced consistent smoke that is always loyal to you right loyalty is probably the biggest key factor in this so quality and loyalty you have to be loyal to this is what we say we have to be loyal to our farmers they will be loyal to us by giving us the best tobacco possible we have to be loyal for our workers our torcedores our different people in the factory so they will be loyal back to us and create the best cigar possible. Torcedores, what is that? Torcedores, cigar roller. Cigar rollers. And we have to be loyal to the consumer by creating the best possible cigar that they can yeah. afford, they can have. And then hopefully they will be loyal to us by enjoying the cigars that we make for right. them. It's a circle. Yeah. You know? complete circle with everybody is loyal to everybody and that's how this industry works this industry works with friends face to face old school handshakes you know exactly this this is tradition this is culture this is old school right and we're bringing in the old school to the new world and making them understand 
hey, we still have tradition. We still have right. all this, and you can have this as well. We're breaking, I mean, like you said, the new world, right? So, I mean, we're not face-to-face with half the people that are watching this, but yet are they still, we're u- utilizing this tool to still hopefully get in front of them this opportunity to understand the Davidoff brand, the family passion, the legacy, and the loyalty that exists there. As brand ambassador, I'm getting very deeply involved in social media. Um, via Instagram, Facebook. I'm part of that team right. in the company. And I love this because I can sit for one hour in front of a camera, post it online, and people can see it. And it's going to reach more people. There will never be anything like face-to-face. Face-to-face right. trumps everything. But I can't be everywhere. Right. Neither can my father, and neither can be anybody. And this is a tool that we are using so that more people can see what we do and why we love what we do. Right. You know, not only are we adapting in the way we change cigars and cigar formats and different flavor profiles, but we're adapting in how we communicate to the people. Yeah. And that's very important. Being able to reach more people, and we appreciate everyone obviously watching this and, and experiencing it with us. So we hope you're enjoying it and getting a little glimpse into the Davidoff lifestyle and what it has entailed uh, and what it can provide. You know, it's uh, the, 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 the slogan, right? The, the tagline, it's time beautifully filled. Time beautifully filled. And it is how we fill our time yeah. with beautiful occasions, with beautiful so, experiences. Let's talk about that. Time beautifully fulfilled. So for me, I look at a cigar and it's an opportunity to sit down and relax, enjoy. You talked a little bit about cigars are so like you're pulling them out from underneath you on the bed that they're so ingrained and kind of all surrounding you. Is there ever a time where you're like, cigars not enjoyable right now? I've I've, I've been exposed to it too much, or is it? Or do you always enjoy? I will never grab a cigar, and 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 light a cigar if I don't think the moment is adequate. Okay, so even when you're working or even when you're doing something, you always want to make sure that you're going to enjoy And my the mentality cigar is correct. I do not smoke a cigar to smoke a cigar. Okay. I smoke a cigar to enjoy a cigar. So you yeah. still use cigars for enjoyment? Yeah, even while I'm working, even when I'm in different environments. I've always said I prefer to work with a cigar in hand. Makes the job go a lot easier. I'm a lot less stressed about what's going on. But you can't always work with a cigar. So for a lot of us, we grab them at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of my best and most favorite rituals, I think somebody said, actually, the guy who I started out working in retail with, Jeff Haugen, he said, uh, I think his dad might have said it, like, the cigar at the end of the day is like the exclamation point to a sentence. And my Friday, every Friday, if I can, I would love to go to the cigar lounge right after work before I go home smoke a cigar and share in like this exact interaction, enjoying a good cigar, putting the exclamation point to the end of my week and just, it just makes life so much better. I love that. But for me, I, I put exclamation points all over the paragraph <laughs> in the dissertation. <laughs> so your day looks like this. Exclamation point, do some exclamation point, do some exclamation point. You got a lot of exclamation points and, going on, and, man. And we're blessed Yes, to, to have that opportunity to have all those exclamation yeah. points. This is an exclamation point right mm-hmm. here. And and we're it, starting our day with an exclamation yeah, point. Yeah, it's like 9 a.m. Yeah. So, in I mean, Spanish, we have the exclamation point before and after the sentence. Oh, I yeah. like it now. Yeah. It's even better. <laughs> so it's not at the end in Spanish. It's before and at the end. Mm-hmm. Take that with yeah. you. And it's moments. It's your time. Your time is one of those assets that you have that it's non-refundable. You know? Right. It's... You can't get time back. You can't get it back. And so enjoy it. Spend it the way you want to spend it. So for us, whether it's in the, mo- in the morning, at the beginning of your day, in the middle of your paragraph, you know, right. at the middle of the day or in the afternoon, grab a cigar that's enjoyable for that particular moment. Davidoff has many cigars. Smooth cigars, creamy cigars, earlier in the morning uh, for maybe more calm times. Then you have much more powerful cigars for different moments uh, uh, where 
maybe food is introduced, coffee is introduced, drinks are introduced. You know, so you pick and choose your cigars, your friends to the, these different moments. Right. And these are our friends. It is a very, uh, it's been around in my family for a long time, but we say that we don't make cigars. We make friends. You make friends. And we make friends and we ship them and we send them all right. over the world so that people can experience the friends that we're making. So people can experience our babies that we grew up. Man, you know? personal. And yeah, it's, it's, personal. it's personal. And that's why being attached to the family name and being attached to the Davidoff brand, it's so wonderful because I get to share with people what we do. Right. And every time somebody grabs a cigar, no matter where in the world, they are experiencing something that we are sharing with them. A friend. They're grabbing yeah. a friend. You're grabbing a friend. Klaus, thank you so much for sitting down with us, experiencing the friendship of cigars, teaching us about the little babies that you guys grow in the DR and all over the world, and then create into these beautiful, different friends that we can all experience and go into lounges and, and take our hard-earned dollars and our time and just have a really, really, really good experience. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. If I have to say a couple last words, is enjoy this because you understand it. And be mindful of what you're enjoying and be open to learn about it. Because it will always go back to education. It will always be about educating yourself so that every time you enjoy a cigar, you have a much more enriched experience. Increase your vocabulary, read, find what's available to you, and then share those experiences with other people right. and teach them so they may enjoy that experience more. That's my favorite thing mm. to do in lounges, especially with people who don't know how to maybe cut a cigar, or light it. That gives you so much knowledge on the ritual, like you said, of this whole process. I love that. And it's all a ritual. It's all about the mindset. It's all about what goes into this and you appreciating it for what we did to give you this environment, to give you this experience. In the end, you will do whatever you want to do. Right. You will buy your cigars and enjoy them wherever you want. But really, enjoy it because we all stand for the same thing. We are all a big family. Whether it's the Davidoff family, whether it's the cigar family, it's a culture. We're all brothers of the leaf. You know? Yeah. We are brothers all, and sisters of the we're leaf. We're all brothers and sisters of the leaf. We're all in this together. We're all in this to support all the families that are in it, all the people that work behind it, and to support this industry. Right. You know, we are the little guys. You know, yeah. we are the small percentage of the world that enjoy this beautiful passion. So it is really stick together, work together, and be a family together. And, Wonderful. And that's what we stand for. Well said. You guys heard it straight from Klaus Kellner, son of Hanky Kellner, master blender of Davidoff. I really appreciate you guys tuning in to Box Press. For more episodes and for other content, Bovoda can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're sitting down to watch this, be sure to pull it up on YouTube, light up a Davidoff cigar, and enjoy the story with us together. Thanks again. Bye.